Buddhism and um, and the Dharma, the teachings of the Buddha, uh, have the they have the capacity to move through cultures, uh, keeping their essence and their um, you know liberating value. So maybe we've seen this through history as uh, Buddhism moved through uh, China, Korea, Japan. Tibet, uh, and um, now is finding its place um, still very much growing and alive and protected uh, in these uh, countries that I have named and others uh, in Asia. And now there's something emerging that seems to be um, a Western Dharma, we could uh, call it. So uh, taking some of the colors, if I can say it like this, of the of the local culture um, preserving its essence um, and the liberating power uh, in the best of cases um, and uh, enriching uh, the local culture, the culture, the Western culture and, um, and uh, also um, uh, you know, offering a path for 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 folks to walk on and to to you know uh, you know lessen lessen their uh, suffering um, and the cause of their suffering and so it's uh, it's quite amazing that the body of teaching would last uh, two thousand six hundred years and take all these kinds of forms. And um, even in a, on a smaller scale, maybe I've, uh, you know, I've been invited in the past to teach retreat for lawyers and uh, law students. So the Dharma of, uh, of uh, uh, you know, the Dharma taking that particular kind of bent or twist or being highlighted through this. Um, you know, some people would like that if there was, a, a, you know, a dharma for politicians, you know, that they could actually, that it could become vibrant and meaningful and a resource and help, uh, you know, uh, you know, how to think and make a decision and, uh, you know, um, yeah, practice uh, being in politics, um, you know, I've uh, I've done like, ten years of uh, family retreats, so that's family dharma. What is the dharma when we're uh, with family? You know, uh, be it heterosexual or queer uh, parents and their kids, and uh, how what makes sense for us? You know. Imagine 30 families and 40-something children getting together for a few days of practice. What, what's the dharma of families? What's, uh, I've seen uh, a lot of uh, women's retreat. Wow. How to, uh, you know, encounter, um, uh, meet, um, uh, you know the, the call it, let's call it the feminine or the the experience of being a, a cis or trans woman uh, in the world through the frame of reference of the Dharma of the teachings of the Buddha. What would be the practices? What would be the? I think it's extremely rich. I've seen the Dharma of uh, Joanna Macy, which is a Dharma of. Uh, of uh, activism, a dharma of, uh, um, you know, uh, of uh, environment and caring for earth, you know. Um, so I'm naming all kinds of dharmas. Do you know where I'm going with this? <laughs> uh, I've seen, I've done also many years of teen retreats. So what is the dharma? What are, what are the practices? What are the ways of thinking of using the Buddhist teaching when you're uh, going through trying to survive teen years, you know? And so, 
you know, and and we're I don't know if we're seeing the emergence. Uh, I think it's been going on for a while, uh, but I'm let's I'll put it this way. If you allow me, I'm interested in a queer dharma, in a LGBTQI uh, dharma, P2S dharma, two-spirited, pansexual, intersexed. Um, uh, so why not? You know, everybody get their dharma. You know, why wouldn't we get this? Why, why would it be there? Why would, it, would we want it to be there? to inform our lives, to help us uh, recognize, you know, use this as frame of reference to see uh, what's happening for us uh, and how we can uh, live more fully our expression uh, of, um, of life, you know, uh, that may we be, uh, you know... Uh, Gender queer or bisexual or questioning or uh, non-binary or non-conforming, um, uh, all these beautiful expressions of uh, of life, you know. And um, yes, I'm I'm seeing this in all, all kinds of ways. Uh, you know, when we do the LGBTQ or LGHTBI. P2S retreats at um, the Insight Meditation Society where, you know, I've practiced a lot uh, in my life. When we do these retreats, we have a wait list. There's space for 100 people and we have a wait list. How powerful is this to take over the center? Wow, 100 people coming together. And... uh, and uh, when we do it uh, in California, often there is 60-some people. In March, we did it in, uh, near Vancouver for the first time. There was uh, four, 45 people, I think, who showed up. Last year, when we were here doing this retreat, one evening, I thought, uh, I wonder how many uh, LGBTQI uh, uh, teachers, Dharma teachers, Dharma, the teachings of the Buddha. Dharma teachers I know. And I thought, honestly, I was on my bed and I thought, I'm, you know, like my, I didn't thought, think it in terms of thoughts, but kind of an impression I had was like, I hope I can make it up to all my fingers, you know, to ten. And I started counting. And you, do you know how many that I was able to think of right there in my bed? Forty-six living Dharma teachers who are part of this community. <laughs> and this was really, uh, in a way, healing for me to think of. I was like, wow, there's a lot of us out there, you know. Um, and I have to say, I included you three in my count. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. Uh, and it was a joy. And... Um, yeah, so, and, uh, you know, and they cover the whole range, you know, all the letters of uh, this uh, alphabet sangha, as they call it, in the uh, Bay Area, in, uh, in, uh, uh, in Oakland, in uh, California, the alphabet sangha. And, uh, you know, so I, as I was counting, I go, oh, yeah, this, this teacher is trans, this teacher is trans. This teacher is, uh, um, you know, genderqueer. This teacher is non-binary. This teacher is bisexual. This teacher is a gay man. This teacher is a, you know, um, a black woman. And this one too, and this one too, and this one too. (laughs) Uh, And so uh, it was was, uh, good to to reflect on this. and you know, um, so I think that's what um, these different ways, angle, cultures from which we um, we um, we uh, view uh, the Buddha's teaching. Um, it's it's um, that um, I'll get there. That's what we uh, that's what we do. You know, um, 
like retell the story a little bit, give it a, a twist, a, a, an angle which, which keeps the essence, but suddenly we're really alive in there. So I don't know if it happened, uh, ever happened to you to listen to a story, read a book, and think, this is the character that is <laughs> like me, either queer or gay or trans or, you know... And so, and it's important that we do this, that we find ourselves in stories, you know. Um, you know, uh, the one thing that I feel very important for me to do for the survival of my soul, if I can put it in these terms, is to uh, go to the LGBTQ film festival in Montreal because I want to exist on a big screen. You know, I want to see uh, myself or my people represented, you know, going through things. On the, in fiction, in documentary, it's really important uh, to actually, uh, for healing, that's how I, I find, uh, find it important. And in the same way, when I read Shakespeare and, or when I have the joy of going to see a play, I come from the theater world, so I, I, I go a lot to see plays, and I love it when there's a queer director who just gave the right twist to the story, you know, where suddenly this character you know, reveals its, its, his or their true nature, you know, and then suddenly, wow, we're on stage, <laughs> we're in the story, the community is there, alive, I think it's really good. And so, for me, as I was listening to the Buddhist stories, you know, I had no doubt that Ananda, I mean, I know Ananda is gay, there's no doubt about it for me. And it's important that he, he is, you know. <laughs> so that's Ananda, you might know, is the, uh, the good friend of the Dharma, his cousin, but also his attendant, and uh, took really dearly care uh, of him for 25 years, I think the story tells, and uh, had a particular kind of sensitivity and um, love for the Buddha, and uh, was really instrumental in giving... Uh, you know, having uh, women's uh, a right to practice, let's say, or, or um, them being recognized as a full, uh, you know, full practitioner with same potential. Uh, and so uh, him, and as I read more and more and hear stories from uh, queer Dharma teachers, uh, trans Dharma teachers and... Uh, and lesbian and bisexual and uh, pansexual and uh, teachers, uh, there's uh, things that keep, keep coming back uh, uh, that I hear here and there and that I think, uh, oh, here is the queer dharma, I love it. And so one of the things I've heard a few times that I find is so beautiful and so empowering. So that's what we want. We want an empowering dharma that allows us to be fully who we uh, are and live this wisely and be able to contribute. And so um, there's a book, I think it's out now, I've been gone, um, I've been traveling and teaching in uh, Europe for a month now, but just uh, as I was leaving, a, a, a book was coming out and... Um, the, um, the people who worked at uh, putting the book together had asked me if I could read it prior to uh, being published to write a little blurb, which was a joy to do. And uh, just before I left, they said, Oh, Pascal, uh, uh, give us your address. We'll send you a copy of the book. It's coming out. And then I left. So I never got... It's waiting for me when I go back home. And it's an... Um, I'll call it an anthology of uh, trans uh, and... Uh, uh, non-binary and uh, uh, genderqueer um, writings on uh, practice in, uh, in Buddhist thoughts. And um, in that uh, book that uh, I read as a manuscript, I think I could say, I actually didn't just read it, I actually devoured it because I was so hungry for trans voices of the Dharma for that particular angle and um, as marginalized people, whoever you are in that, you know, rainbow, uh, as a mar marginalized person, as a if you're bi or trans or questioning, or um, I think we all have 
um, a really uh, particular angle on what's happening in society. Huh? We have a point of view that is often not celebrated or asked uh, for, but it's a very, very uh, a rich point of view. We're seeing things that people of the dominant group can't see. You know, they can't, they, they don't even know they're heterosexual. <laughs> If somebody tells me, oh, you're gay, I love gay people. I'm like, oh, yeah, I like heterosexuals too. And they're like, yeah, you're heterosexual. Oh, am I? Why do you say that about me? <laughs> so we have a particular angle. I'm being playful. Uh, uh, we have a particular angle in reality. And, uh, and I want to hear these, you know... Uh, I, First, I want the, these voices to be able to express themselves, but I also want to benefit from hearing this. So one dominant group that I belong to, that I've, I'm just finding out in the last few years, forgive me, <laughs> I was late, and that's, it's, it's good to wake up because there's a lot of danger in being asleep to the different uh, identities we have. So I'm a cis male. Huh? I'm a non-trans male, and that's something... I was not aware of. I just thought, you know, nothing of it. And now I'm finding out very slowly. I'm waking up to the fact that there's a dominant culture of cis uh, people, of cis male, of cis white male. These are all groups that I belong to that I was not aware of. I was aware I was gay. You know, it was outstanding for me my whole life, you know. But uh, there was uh, uh, things that were really at play that... Uh, were and are still um, not conscious in me. I want to wake up to this. So anyway, here and there, and in this book, uh, I remember reading uh, this, uh, I thought it was so liberating and such a beautiful take on uh, Buddhism, where uh, 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 it was saying that the Buddha, the Buddha himself, or let's say themselves, the Buddha himself, Uh, is trans, was trans. <laughs> What? Yeah. The Buddha uh, cut their hair, put on robes, changed names, you know, to actually live truthfully, uh, um, respectfully, uh, 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 you know, expressing who they truly were. And, and in the same way we could think of... Uh, Uh, monastics. Monastics are all trans people. They all change names and they all, uh, you know, change lifestyle and change clothing to express who they truly are. And so, and there's an understanding in that, that, you know, the deep teaching of the Buddha about Anicca, the impermanent nature of things, the dynamic changing nature of things. Uh, there's a beautiful teaching uh, in there, I think, for us. Um, you know, there's a kind of a, there's a coming out, you know, in the taking on the robes, saying, hey, this is who I truly am. I'm coming out, you know. And you might not like it, you know. When somebody tells their parent, you know, in the Western world, I'm becoming a Buddhist monk or nun or monastic, you know. What? <laughs> you know, that's not an easy coming out to do, maybe. Um, and so, uh, I love this kind of reclaiming the story for us, so that uh, we can feel empowered to be uh, who we truly are. As maybe I have um, said, uh, I've said that in the past, and maybe to, in this retreat last year, for those of you who were here, for me, my first encounter with the, the Buddhist teaching uh, was really, um, you know, a, um, the portal, the, the entrance, uh, the, the, the door I came in through was really, really um, a welcoming uh, door because it was a, a book I ran into a book of, um, from uh, Gavin Harrison, who wrote a book many, many years ago. Uh, uh, Gavin wrote a book called uh, In the Lap 
of the Buddha. And this is the story of, um, of um, a queer, um, a gay man uh, living with HIV, um, maybe victim or maybe survivor or maybe a thriver, um, a survivor of um, sexual abuse, abuse. And, uh, and so this is the first Dharma book that I read. It was a story of, uh, uh, you know, for me it meant a lot that it was a gay man uh, who had uh, um, uh, all the stories that I just told about him because it resonated deeply uh, inside of me. And from the get-go, I didn't really have the question, am I welcomed in or not, you know, because of a of the voice of a queer teacher, uh, it seemed like I was totally welcomed in. Um, and, uh, and I think this is extremely powerful uh, to feel that the whole of one's identity uh, is welcomed in a field of research, in a field of practice, on a path, put it uh, as you want. Um, Gavin, uh, you know, I read uh, his book. It was, um, um, you know, really, um, really good dharma. And uh, about 20 years later, uh, one day I was at uh, Spirit Rock for, um, to teach a retreat. And um, I arrived and there was nothing happening. It was extremely quiet at the time where there should have been 100 people arriving. And, um, and I discovered that I was, I was uh, confused. I had come a day early, and so there was nothing happening. So I looked a little bit around, and I saw that close by in the, in, um, you know, the, the, the Dharma Hall, where they, not where they hold retreats, but where they um, give uh, evening classes and things, that there was a, a class that night, and it was offered by uh, Gavin Harrison, and I thought, oh my God, what a luck! I'm going to meet him, you know. And so it was a really, really beautiful evening, uh, where Gavin was—he um, was actually had just. Uh, maybe I'll tell you uh, also. It, it feels important to say that Gavin died um, this year. Uh, he was actually uh, on a plane going from um, uh, California, I think, where he was practicing back home to Hawaii. And in the plane, he had the heart attack and, uh, and died. Um, uh, and um, yeah, so that's, 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 you know, what happened. And he was very, very dearly um, loved, kind of um, had a, a beautiful, uh, um, I would say, humble personality and that also like a, this really unique mix of humble and ecstatic <laughs> really kind of uh, grandiose and uh, and very very artistic and that evening when I met him so all things that I didn't know exactly from him from reading the book but uh, he had just um, so that's a f couple of years ago maybe more he had just released a book of poetry and he was there at Spirit Rock reading his poetry. And, uh, and uh, uh, I, I thought maybe I could read a poem or two uh, of his uh, poetry. Um, one uh, could be used for us as, um, I think, as an instruction uh, on meditation. But I'll, I'll start with the second, the, the other one. Um, so one is called here the the damn closet door. The the damn closet door. And he says, "Come over, my friend. Let us lean against this closet door together." Enter my story and I will join yours and perhaps the weight of all that has been will budge these bloody hinges once and for all. I want out. You want out. We are in this together. Let's not wait a moment longer. 
for the drama of me and that of you gets heavier all the time. This air is fetid with uh, forgetfulness and the trance of sleepwalking. Here, the howling discontent, our joint dissatisfaction with uh, these carefully choreographed lives, uh, lives of contraction and control. Allow our longing to lean into this door with the gravity of interwoven resolve, our hearts hell-bent on breaking free together. We've been inside this dawn closet for too long. Push, heave. Oh my God, goodness. Did you feel the door open just a little? Quick, take my hand. Let's fall to our knees across this sacred threshold while the portal is ajar and before the door closes again. Shut your eyes, bow your head. The light of our beloved can be blinding within such darkness. Step out of, of a hell that has imprisoned us longer than memory and witness the disintegration of our dreaming. Amazing, isn't it? Look, the story of me is a toast. You two, my God, we are stark naked before our beloved who is grinding with relief at us, as us, with us, in welcome and celebration. Done, done is what had to be done, my friend. We are the silence within which the music plays. How cool is that? Very American. <laughs> the stillness, and actually is uh, from South Africa. The cool, uh, how cool is that? The stillness uh, within which all movement dances. Knocks one socks off, doesn't it? The nothingness within which the glory of creation has its way. It doesn't get any better than this. Whatever else can we do? Stark naked, but dance together forever and ever. Amen. <laughs> and so what I like in there uh, is the kind of equating freedom to coming out of the closet. And uh, some words that he used, done is what had to be done as we come out of the closet, is, uh, is a particular kind of phrasing that is very, very Buddhist. Done is what uh, had to be done, is what the Buddha would say uh, after the night of enlightenment, you know, like, I have freed the heart. And so I like that uh, queer teacher is equating being fully who we are with an expression of wisdom and, uh, and, uh, and um, you know, absolute freedom. Um, so that's just one um, story here. Um, you know, that night where I was there, there was maybe 200 people, and uh, Gavin was uh, telling his poems and talking about the practice and leading the meditation, and at some point he opened up, you know, the... The, the room for questions and comments and uh, stuff that people had to share. And, uh, and uh, there was one young person who raised their hand. And so um, Gavin was sitting here and said, yes, what's going on? What do you want to share? And so this person started describing a lot of inner pain with a lot of accuracy like a, and describing a lot of... Um, uh, beautiful intention to uh, to find ease and peace and the uh, what was hindering that and uh, there was a lot of honesty in the description a lot of um, it was very very real huh? there was no pretense and I remember that uh, this person was describing their experience and struggles and you had two hundred people completely attuned and listening very, very carefully to what was said in a very uh, 
what was felt for me anyway uh, as a in a very compassionate way, caring way, supportive way. And so this person was uh, describing their experience. And there was a total um, care in the room and, and consideration. It was really beautiful. And, uh, and uh, at the end of um, their sharing, uh, Gavin stood up and kind of bro- broke what we called the the fourth wall in the theater, you know, where usually, you know, like like now, I'm here, you're there. There's a kind of an understanding. And he just, like, walked through the understanding, <laughs> you know, and went to sit straight with a young person and took their hand. And uh, he said a few things, but I just remember the last thing that Gavin said. And it seemed like an exact description of what was going on. He took the hand and he said... Sometimes we're the last one to find out that we're lovely. And it seemed to me a description of what was going on because you had 200, 400 loving eyes uh, on this young being who didn't know yet they were lovely. And my sense was they were going to discover this on the path, you know, uh, of maybe we could call it homecoming. And so that's a memory that I have of, um, of Gavin. But beautiful teachings that I've uh, received from, um, um, from queer um, uh, Dharma teachers uh, are plenty. Um, just a few um, ones that I uh, share with you more. Um, who comes to mind, and I uh, hear her voice, um, Zenju Earthling Manuel, who wrote um, Complete Tenderness. I think that's the title of her book. Complete Tenderness. I hear her voice as instructions, um, and she um, and she uh, talks about the pain of intersectionality, the pain of being a black woman, queer woman, and so often right there at the meeting point of racism, sexism, and uh, homophobia or transphobia. And I invite you to read her book because she, you know, expresses herself better than I'll express herself (laughs) for sure, you know. I'll do a really pale uh, version of uh, of her, you know, the depth of her, her insight. But she talks about, um, you know, practicing. Even she's talking not just about dominant society. She's talking about Buddhist uh, culture. And as a woman, as a queer woman, as a queer woman of color, um, uh, practicing in an environment um, uh, often, um, you know, uh, dominated by white male uh, you know, you can imagine California, maybe a Zen practice, um, very patriarchal, and very, very much dismissing uh, any of these uh, aspects of uh, her experience, saying it doesn't count, it's all, we're all equal, why, why make a fuss about it, you know, when the lived experience is very much, uh, um, you know, tainted. Um, by these uh, power uh, relationships and uh, you know privilege and oppression and uh, you know who has the voice and etc. And so uh, and she describes in the book meeting this with complete tenderness. You know where there would could be a falling apart where there could be. Uh, hatred would make absolute sense that hatred would arise in one's heart, you know, 
she describes um, uh, real uh, acknowledgement of what's happening, uh, the power play, the denial of the power play, all this uh, with great courage and tenderness, which to me seems remarkable as a response. And, um, you know, if I receive as an invitation for exploration, uh, how can we hold our experience with tenderness here on retreat, as we sit, uh, and in our lives with our family, fam chosen family, communities, and, uh, you know, and society. So this is talking about response, how to respond, how to hold uh, something with honesty and courage and care. Uh, it's quite remarkable. And so when we talk about this, uh, what comes to mind is the first noble truth of um, the Buddha. So first teaching. So this person, um, this person's mind um, awakens uh, or the, their heart is detoxified. Uh, the ability to see clearly through and through you know, uh, reality and what's happening within us, uh, uh, within ourselves, uh, uh, amongst ourselves, you know, can, can see very, very clearly and honestly uh, the world. And what is the first teaching that they offer? What are their first wor words? Imagine, you know, uh, touching something extremely precious and potent and unseen and untouched before you could say and having the you know the chance uh, to share this with the world and what would be your first words you know and the buddha's first words are you know paraphrase i feel very free to paraphrase here i feel empowered to do this by my teachers and the lineage i'm in first word of this teacher is, it's not easy being a human being. Human beings are often separated from what they want. They're often caught with what they don't want. It's not easy being born, giving birth. It's not easy growing. It's not easy aging. It's not easy being sick. Death, the idea of death, the experience of dying, not easy. So, who better than members of the LGBTQ community know about this? You know? I think we have a direct uh, access to these teachings, you know, in a way. I've, I don't know if it's the case for you, what happened for you, but I was raised in a family that was heteronormative, heterocentric, heterosexist, hetero-focused, <laughs> <laughs> hetero... Uh, all kinds of things about that, you know, despite, you know, I mean, cousin conditions led it to be this way. And the grandparents apparently were also like this, or certainly norming, following the norm. And, uh, and all the aunts and uncles, and, you know. And so it's not easy uh, being raised in a family like this, you know, where there's not many options offered, you know, that's if you're gay or if you're uh, trans, you know, the challenges of being uh, 
in the growing in an environment, in a school or schools, in a neighborhood, in a society that doesn't make uh, space for your questioning, for your bisexuality, for your transness, for your queerness, for your, you know. And so, for me, direct uh, echoes of the words of the Buddha, not easy being a human being, being separated from what we want. And so I think the teaching can resonate uh, for us uh, in particular ways that that we can recognize uh, readily. Is that the way to say this? We can easily recognize, yes, that is true. In this particular teaching of the Buddha, the invitation is to recognize this, to understand this. And the design of the retreat is also to allow us to get closer to this. Actually, a few weeks ago I was teaching in in English, in this language that I'm using now, and um, we were talking about this, um, this teaching the, the word, as many of you know in Pali, is dukkha, dukkha. This description I just did of life, that it's not easy being a human being, it's not easy having senses, because huh? they're constantly touched, touched by smells, touched by sound, touched by, you know, uh, as the Buddha would say, uh, snakes and, and uh, mosquitoes, you know, like the body and, and the heart always touched by ideas, moods, not easy, not easy. And so the word in Pali, the one word to talk about all this is dukkha. And um, somebody was asking, how do you translate it in French? What's the one word? And so the word that came to mind, and I feel very empowered to use it here too, because I think, (laughs) I thought, oh, that's my word for the next year for sure. I'm going to explore this. I said very spontaneously to the person, I said, so the translation of the word dukkha in English is poignancy. The poignancy of life. How poignant, touching it is. How touching it is when we come close to life, you know, when we're not cynical about it, when we're not, uh, when we're actually looking at it or feeling it directly. It's extremely touching. The poignancy of life is what the Buddha is inviting us to become aware of. Do you understand what I'm saying? Wow. We're often separated from what we want. So what's the translation in Dutch? Can't help. <laughs> That's part of the poignancy. I'd like to give it to you, but I can't. Does it mean, uh, does, does it, anybody would like to try something here in Dutch? Michael, anybody else? The touching aspect, I would use this as a synonymous, the touching aspect of life. Because this is what the Buddha talk, talks about, in my understanding, is the, the awakening. Awakening to what? Awakening to, uh, to our sensitivity. Awakening to, uh, you know, awakening the heart, so the heart can be vibrant. Vibrant, so it means it's vibrating at the touch of things. You know, and so it's so poignant that human beings, for example, would be touched by beauty, and they wouldn't have access to it all the time. Huh? That they would be touched by what feels good, but they would encounter what doesn't feel good. You know, that they would actually feel really—it uh, would be fitting for them to feel healthy, yet they get diagnoses, you know, and diseases that youth could be a good thing. But aging happens, or might be a good thing. <laughs> also, <laughs> I wouldn't want to give it only one twist here. And so, uh, 
And so, because we say that wisdom, an expression of wisdom is compassion, for sure it means poignancy, you know, the fact that it's touching. It's, so here we actually slow down to be touched. I was teaching just a few days ago a retreat, and uh, it was the same length as this, and at the end, everybody was like, oh my God. You know, the leaves falling, oh my God, the rain. You know, like every, they were touched by every, oh my God, generosity of the cook, you know. Oh my God, things were standing out, outstanding, you know. We were not just in our ideas, yeah, that's how it is, it's fall, leaves fall, you know. <laughs> that's not why we practice. We practice to be in relationship, for the heart to be vibrant again, you know in a way that it can afford to be, you know, uh, so that we won't be like, you know, receive everything like a ton of bricks, you know, but we'll be able to say, wow, how amazing is that, how poignant is that, how touching is that, that we're all in this together. We all don't know exactly what's coming. How amazing is that? That, you know, you would... You're a human being. Wouldn't it be fitting that you would know what's coming so you could prepare? No. We don't get to know what's coming in the next few weeks and months. Politically, relationally, inside our hearts and mind and body. How touching is this? So this is one of the teachings of the Buddha an invitation to come very, very close to the touching nature of reality. You know, as a, another example is today, lunch, you know, when I was saying, let's take a moment to appreciate what's come, what, what uh, brings our plate, uh, the, the content of our plate, and the beauty, and the, yes, the smells and taste, and the enjoyment, but also the, the, what's the dukkha in there, the, what's poignant in there, that we might actually be eating something and be, by eating this, be part of a system of oppression. You know, maybe somebody's not being paid what they should be paid as we're enjoying our meals. How poignant is that? Do we want to turn away from that? No, I think as a people who are interested in reality, in wisdom, uh, we actually want to be aware of this. We want to be able to be that sensitive, be able to hold the truth of what's happening, maybe in order to make better choices, to contribute, instead of keep um, going systems of oppression. Right, And so we want to wake up to our privileges as well as uh, learn how to be uh, resourced in experiences of uh, marginalization as, as we are experiencing and will experience again, I believe. And so we can be accompanied in our reflections, in our practices, by uh, wise teachers. And some of them will uh, uh, happen to be queer, lesbians, uh, intersex, uh, non-conforming, non-binary. And, and uh, they will really help us, uh, um, you know, thread, thread on this path. comes to mind uh, Irina Wiseman who's a teacher also in, in our uh, lineage and uh, I remember sitting um, uh, LGBTQI uh, retreat uh, with her and at some point was I sitting or co-teaching can't remember you know all the same I was there in the room and uh, at some point she just slowed down and said, you know, she has a very little frame 
something very kind of uh, kind of like almost like butterfly, you know. There's some, so, but very powerful. But uh, this very thin body like this, and small voice, and little eyes like this, and deep wisdom. And she said, "I am honored to be queer." And I remember I was sitting there and something went through the washing machine of the soul <laughs> in my mind, you know, like something switched. When I was ashamed, you know, kind of internalized homophobia, I'd done his work really well on me. I had done a lot of work also, but still, you know, there was this layer underneath, you know bottom layer of shame and she she didn't say I'm okay I accept she didn't say this she said I'm honored it was an honor it was amazing I could see very very uh, uh, for me very very Buddhist teachings of uh, the uh, ephemeral nature of perception although I had years of perceiving uh, being uh, gay as let's say, slightly shameful. That's how it was perceived. I'm not saying it was reality. That's how it was perceived or conditioned in me. And suddenly, with a little, you know, flop of her wing, <laughs> she went like this, you know. She flipped the whole thing around. And I had never considered honored, being honored to be queer. And when she said this, suddenly, it was felt as a chance, as a privilege as a particular angle on reality. You know, not that it would be recognized by everyone, but, you know, inner freedom. There was a taste of freedom that came with her words. This I could not have gotten, I think, from a teacher from another lineage, if you allow me to put it in these words. I wonder if to finish I could, um, I could maybe, um, I'll keep the second poem from Gavin for tomorrow morning for the instructions, okay? okay. Keep a little suspense going. <laughs> but uh, if I can find it quickly, or in not too long, maybe I'll, um, let's see here. I saw it uh, today as I was doing some research. Yes. So I'd like to read, um, you know, yesterday when we came together, uh, in a way we took the five precepts. Huh? I talked about uh, different ways that we would uh, practice making this a safe space, um, practicing nonviolence together. Um, and so we talked about this way of not uh, hurting somebody else, not taking what is not offered, um, not harming each other with um, sexuality, remaining celibate in the context of this uh, practice, um, uh, also using speech in a way that is uh, healing and uh, creates um, community rather than divisive and uh, bringing us uh, away from uh, truth. And also the, you know, being uh, careful with the use of intoxicants, and in the context of this retreat, not using any alcohol or recreational drugs. So these uh, five precepts have been um, expressed um, and put together by um, uh, uh, 
Catriona Reed and um, and um, Name just escaped me. Uh, there are a couple of a uh, couple of women, uh, one cis, one trans. Um, and Catriona uh, is a trans woman, and her partner. Um, I have her on my li- list of forty-six mm-hmm. queer teachers. Um, where is she? Yeah, Michelle Benjamin Mickey. Yes, so she's uh, uh, also uh, this. She's the one of the two women I'm talking about, and um, and they have a, a, a retreat center called Manzanita Village in California, and they um, express uh, these um, five precepts. So maybe to finish this uh, this teaching tonight, uh, I'll read their expression of the teachings of the of the precepts and see how they land in you so you can view this as a as a meditation or if you want you can close your eyes or just um so they express it in these words in these beautiful profound words Aware of the violence in the world and the power of non-violent resistance, I stand in the presence of the ancestors, the earth and future generations, and I vow to cultivate the compassion that seeks to protect each living being. Aware of the poverty and greed in the world, And of the intrinsic abundance of the earth, I stand in the presence of the ancestors, the earth and future generations, and vow to cultivate the simplicity, gratitude and generosity that have no limits. Aware of the abuse and lovelessness in the world, and of the healing that is made possible when we open to love, I stand in the presence of the ancestors, the earth and future generation and vow to cultivate respect for the beauty and erotic power of the bodies, of our bodies. Aware of the falsehood and deception in the world and of the power of living and speaking the truth, I stand in the presence of the ancestors, the earth and future generation and vow to cultivate the ability to listen and clarity and integrity in all I communicate by my words and actions. Aware of the contamination and desecration of the world and my responsibility for life as it manifests through me, I stand in the presence of the ancestor, the earth and future generations and vow to cultivate discernment and care in what I take into my body and mind. be protected by these vows or similar ones may they go from words to being embodied may all beings no one uh, accepted 
no one excluded. May all beings uh, experience protection, offer protection, experience freedom, and be able to uh, offer also freedom to all beings. Thank you for your consideration. Thank you. Bon appétit.